you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to Psalm 1. Uh, where's Bob? Am I being projected through this or through this? Okay, I'm moving this. Because I'm all the way up here and it's... Okay, so... In the U.S. Declaration of Independence, there's a phrase that I'm guessing all of us are familiar with. It is what tells us uh, we have as rights. We have the right to life, to liberty, and what else? Pursuit of happiness, good Americans. But how do we pursue happiness? Well, the world has its ideas about how to pursue happiness. You ever heard the, the silly song, Don't worry, be happy. This is kind of a philosophy, and the philosophy basically says, if you just don't worry about the future, or think about the future, then that will make you happy. Another silly song, you might be a little older to remember this song, is if you want to be happy for the rest of your life. You might know that one. Huh? Yeah, never make a pretty woman your wife. That one's even a little before my time, but I do remember it. Now, this song is a it's a tongue-in-cheek song. It's not really serious. It's basically it's basically a hit on guys and says, "Hey guys, don't marry a woman who can find better options because that's going to be bad for you in the long run." So, even though these songs are a little silly, and they are, they they show us just a little bit of what the world thinks the philosophy is of gaining happiness. Happiness is living in the moment. Happiness is is never thinking about or fearing, I mean fearing in a good way, a future, especially an eternal future. Get those things out of your head and you'll be happy. Happiness is also finding fulfillment in temporary things. Like marriage, marriage is not a bad thing, but you shouldn't find your ultimate fulfillment in it. Find fulfillment in money, another not bad thing, but that should not be the thing that you get your happiness from. Well, in Psalm 1, we are going to see a different way or a different path. So get used to when I say that word way, I'm usually talking about a path or a road, because that's the word that the psalmist uses. But a different path. To happiness. The psalmist is going to use the word blessed. Now, blessed means a lot more than just happiness, but it certainly contains the idea of happiness, and that's what I'm going to focus on today. The psalm says that true happiness is staying on the way or the path to righteousness by desiring of all things the law of God. The world would think that that is strange. And that's a backwards way to find happiness. But God says this is the only way that you are going to find true and ultimate and lasting happiness. And when we look around at the world, are their philosophies working? Do you see happy people? Do you see, here's another song quote. This is, you have to, probably have to be kind of young to know this one. Shiny, happy people holding hands. Anybody know that one? Okay, (laughs) one person back there. (laughs) Psalm 1 and 2 
they present kind of an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. And they both present two main values of the Christian life. Psalm 1 encourages us to fight, to stay on the path to righteousness and stay off of the path to wickedness. While Psalm 2 encourages us, as we read in the call to worship, to submit to, to pay homage to the Son of God, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And to remember that His wrath is kindled or cooled down, not kindled. His wrath is cooled down quickly and easily if we turn to Him. Now, those are two kind of simplistic virtues up here. But the rest of the book of Psalms deal with all those virtues and walking through life and the difficulties and struggles in all of this, the particular situations of life. So the book of Psalms is, is just so helpful because it, it teaches you things like if you're not feeling happy all the time, that's a normal Christian experience. Uh, if, you read, if, you, if you read certain parts of the scripture, you might think that that has to be uh, that something's wrong with you if you're not feeling happy all the time. The Psalms deal with every type of emotional experience that you can have as a Christian, even up to the point of feeling like, even though it's not true, that God has taken the Holy Spirit from you. That's what David says. Now, I don't believe that God took the Holy Spirit from him, but he was just expressing how he felt in the moment. So let us look at Psalm 1, this beautiful introduction to the book of Psalms. And hear the word of God from this passage. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Somebody's helping me read. Alright, so in verse 1, the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Do you need tech support back there? Oh, you're fine. Yeah, We can wait. <laughs> It's funny how those things do that. Just take over no matter what you want. Okay. Let's see if we can get back in this. Alright, so Proverbs 14, 12. Some of you are probably familiar with this passage. It says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So this way or road or path, the path that seems right to a man is the path that the psalmist in Psalm 1 wants you to avoid. And he, and he talks about avoiding three things in three different illustrations. Now, just note, 
We're talking Hebrew poetry, so this stuff can get kind of difficult. Uh, but I'm going to try to make it simple. All of these three things really mean the same thing, but it's a progression building upon itself. So what they all basically mean is stay away from the path to the wicked. That is basically what all of them mean. Uh, do not walk with the wicked. Do not stand with the wicked. Do not sit with the wicked. But each of them portray a progression towards the same thing. And the progression is comfort. You're not as comfortable when you walk as you are when you stand. You're not as comfortable when you stand as you are when you sit. So it's a progression of being more and more comfortable with being around and participating in sin. And when you think about this, it makes sense because you don't automatically get someone who wants to be holy to commit murder in their first step. You first have to stir the murder up in here. You have to start here. The psalmist could almost say something like this. So this might be an example of what he's saying. Walking in anger towards your brother will move towards standing in open conflict, so actually arguing with your brother, and ending with you comfortably sitting with the blood of your brother on your hands. This is what happened to Cain. It started in his heart and moved gradually towards being comfortable with murdering his brother. And this is how Satan likes to, to lure you in, by saying, don't have to go all the way. You can toy with this thing just a little bit. It's just a little sin. And then it will grow and it will grow. And the dangerous thing isn't that it destroys you immediately. But the dangerous thing is that you slowly become comfortable with it in your heart. You become comfortable with sitting down and finding your ease in the midst of the wicked. So we should always ask ourselves these kind of good heart questions. Are there areas in my life where I am comfortable with, the, with walking in the counsel of the wicked? Because that might draw me in to standing with them and then sitting with scoffers. And only you and the Spirit of God can answer those kinds of questions. So ask the Spirit to show you things like that. Now, we need to balance this a little bit uh, because this, this command seems very, very separatist, like separate, separate, separate. And that's, that is what it's saying. But we don't want to become absolute separatist or, or legalist about how we draw lines and keep ourselves away from the world too much. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 5 that we would have to, act, we would have to physically leave the world in order to actually get away from sinners. So, that's not what the psalmist is saying here. But, we also don't want to compromise with the world and, and ease into a comfortable position where we're sitting with scoffers. Kevin DeYoung says, Be careful that you do not end up where verse 1 ends up. Namely, sitting in the seat of scoffers. Our culture loves mockers. Isn't that true? country loves people that mock. We are entertained by cynical people. Their dry pessimism can draw a crowd. 
They make us laugh. Mockers are cool. They are the cool ones in our society. They are so cool. I love this, this quote. This is still Kevin DeYoung. He says, they are so cool, they don't believe anything. Now that's cool, to not believe in anything. Nothing gets to them. They are so hip, they can look down on the world of simpletons. Everything is a joke, and religious people are rubes. And that is the heart of a scoffer. And that is where we absolutely do not ever want to end up. Being current, being trendy, being intelligent, being with the times, those aren't necessarily bad things, but when you do it in a way that you are becoming a scoffer, one who embraces the downward slide towards wickedness, this is, I think, a, a key characteristic of this. Nothing is sacred to you. Nothing is serious. Nothing is transcendent. Everything's a joke. You're making fun of it. If this is the way your heart is drawing you, then you need to cry out for God's sovereign mercy. You need to ask for His forgiveness. So verse 1 is full of do nots. Do nots. But verse 2 is going to give us a do. The psalmist says in verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What can make you avoid the way of the wicked? Planting yourself right in the direction of the Word of God, of the law of God. Now you might say, law? How's law going to help me? All that does is condemn me. Isn't that what Paul says one of its uses is? To show us our heart and condemn us? Or the law might make me judgy. Nobody wants to be around a judgy person all the time, right? But the psalmist says that the law makes us happy. And it is our delight and our companion along the way. Now, the word law, when you read your English translations, you're only going to see the word law. Sometimes it's different words in the Hebrew uh, Sometimes in the Greek, but mostly in the Hebrew. Well, here in the Hebrew, the word is Torah. You're probably familiar with that word, Torah. And many believe that by Torah, the psalmist is basically saying the scriptures that have been written up until Psalm 1. So what they have in their written word up until the time of Psalm 1. Now, the word delight, so we see that word delight, and we think happiness, we think joy. And that's true, that's okay. But the primary meaning of that word, uh, delight, is desire or will. Your will or your desire is towards the Word of God. And the psalmist is saying, this is what's going to bring you blessedness, happiness, if your desire is in the Word of God. This person understands what David means in Psalm 19 when he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This person has a high view of the law of God. And the person that has this high view and desires the law of God meditates on it day and night. So let me quickly bore you with another Hebrew poetry aspect. 
Uh, this day and night language is what we call a mirrorism. Anybody ever heard of a mirrorism? All right, I'm really going to bore you. Okay, there's a couple back there. All right, so a mirrorism is basically where you take two opposite things and it means everything. So up and down would mean everywhere. Uh, east and west would mean everywhere. And that's basically what the psalmist is saying here is when he says day and night, he means all the time. All the time you are meditating on the law of God. Now, you're probably thinking, uh, I can't read, pray, and meditate on God's word 24-7. I mean, even Jesus slept, right? So he didn't even do that. Well, that's not really what the psalmist means here. I think it's a lot like what Psalm 19 says when, when it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The blessed one here, by desiring God's word, is trying to create this type of grid. I guess you could think of it like Calvin uses the, the illustration of glasses, the biblical glasses, through which you are seeing your world and the worldview and life experiences. You are engaging with the world that you live in through the knowledge and the will that the word of God is creating in you. So you are being changed uh, into the way the word of God thinks. This is like what Paul says when he says, take every thought captive, take it captive for the word of God. This person wants their heart and their mind to grow in the ability to align with the will of God presented in his word. And this is part of what Jesus is saying when he tells us to pray that the Lord's will will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Now, when Jesus says that, do you think he means that you won't, uh, I don't even know what his title is, the Chinese dictator Xi, uh, that you won't Xi or Putin or, or one of those guys to, uh, to line their will with the word of God? Well, sure. I mean, that's part of it. But I think the main point is that Jesus wants you to be praying that God's will in heaven will be seen on, on earth through the, through the thoughts, the deeds, uh, and the way that the people of God live on earth. They are the ones being conformed to the will of God while they're still on earth. And that is part of what we pray for in that petition. So here in the first two verses, we see that the psalmist is encouraging effort and he's encouraging vigilance vigilance, and using God's law to keep us away from the path of the wicked. But are we the ones who are producing this effort, this striving to stay in the law of God and to keep us away from the path of God? Well, the next verse, I think, implies that we aren't because the next verse says the effort isn't coming from your effort the effort is being produced in you and that brings us to our second point if you look in your bulletins you'll see the outline the second point is blessing is produced by the righteous way verses three to four the psalmist says that the blessed one is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
There's a lot of beautiful imagery that can be squeezed out of this verse. And if I was a Puritan, I probably would preach ten sermons on it. But I'm not. So be thankful for that. But the one main thing I want you to see in this imagery is the work of God. A tree does not plant itself. A tree is planted. And God is the one who plants the believer in just the right place so that they can receive nourishment, so that they can produce fruit at just the right time according to His will. Remember, Jesus says it this way in in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And in in that imagery, He's talking about Himself being the vine and we are the branches. What is produced is produced by Christ through the Spirit of God. All the work that we are responsible to do in this psalm in order to live the blessed life is produced by the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. And here's another thing about this tree imagery. As a tree does not grow overnight, the Christian who is planted by Jesus does not become a sturdy, mighty oak overnight. It doesn't happen like that. But the endurance of a tree planted near streams, producing fruit at the right time, is the product of God over time, creating the strength of a Christian. I believe this is why the blessed way is so difficult to stay on. Because it's slow, it's full of effort, it's full of discouragement, disorientation. The way of the wicked is immediate and easy. And the pleasure offered by the path to the wicked produces instant happiness. But sadly, it produces eternal sorrow. I think this is why so much of Christianity in the modern era has turned to what's exciting. Faith that produces wealth and health. Now, that's exciting. Talking about meditating on the law, that's not very exciting. Uh, Entertaining services, like, I've seen churches that have like, have you guys heard of like the uh, fire truck baptisms where people slide down? If you get on the internet, you find all kinds of crazy things that churches are doing because they're trying to excite people who are worldly. Instead of showing them through God's word that he does it slowly and gradually. And it's not always exciting. The blessed one does not expect immediate gratification. They don't believe that if I'm sad or if I'm disoriented or if I'm sick or wrestling with a trial, that God is not faithful. And the entirety of the Psalms deal with all those real Christian experiences that the mature Christian understands slowly deepens our roots in Christ. All those ups and downs, sicknesses, heartaches, Christ is walking with you through them to grow the roots deeper into Him. And some of you that are older, I know you have probably experienced so many things that have weathered you and haven't overcome you. They weren't easy, but they probably strengthened 
your reliance on paying homage to your king. Now, the blessed one knows that the way of the righteous is not always an easy one. But its ultimate destination is that of happiness, joy, and contentment that isn't temporal, but is everlasting. But the psalmist also says that the way of the wicked, although it's easier, it's more accessible, it's quicker, it's more exciting, it ends in sorrow. Their end is the exact opposite of the bountiful tree. Their end is to be like chaff that's crushed and blown away. Kevin DeYoung again. Can you tell I read Kevin DeYoung on Psalm 1? Got two quotes from him in here. Little book. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be for college graduates. I think it's called Don't Do What Feels Right or What Feels Good, something like that. It's a real small book, but I encourage you to read it. It's really good. Okay, Kevin DeYoung says, People look impressive. They seem important. They think they're important, but they ignore the eternity in their hearts. They give no thought to their souls. Their souls seem consequential, but measured by the things that really matter, they are living, hollow, weightless, insignificant lives. These people who give no thought for their souls are everywhere in your midst. They're in your workplace. They're in your schools. They may even be in this church. They are in this community. And God has placed you, His people, to be guides, telling them that's the wrong way. That won't lead you to happiness. This is the only way that can lead you to happiness. It's our duty to warn them that if they continue on the easy downward way, they will become like chaff. And sadly, one of the most frightening things that they probably wouldn't think is frightening about their condition is that they may not be known by the Lord. And that brings us to our last point. Blessed is the way that is known by the Lord. In the end of this psalm, the psalmist concludes by saying, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The conclusion the psalmist draws here is that if you walk, stand, and sit with sinners, you will not stand in the judgment. Now, this imagery here is literally... You cannot rise up. And what it means is you can't rise up because you have been struck so critically by the judgment of God that it's impossible for you to stand up in the day of judgment. And the main conclusion here is that if you took the easy path, you're probably familiar with Jesus' words, the broad path that leads to destruction. If you have identified with and associated with the world if you've stood with them against the Lord, you will not stand on the day of judgment. You will be struck down. And the sad reality here is that the psalm implies that God does not know those who are wicked 
on the day of judgment. In the New Testament, Jesus teaches that the main thing that the wicked are judged for is that he never knew them. You guys familiar with that passage in, in Matthew 7? At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, we did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Those who chose the wicked path could actually outwardly seem to do great things like working miracles, casting out demons, but inwardly they were full of iniquity and hatred of God's will. That is the result of those who are not known by the Lord. But the psalmist says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So what does the psalmist and Jesus mean when he says that God must know us in order for us to stand in the judgment? Doesn't God know everything? I mean, Keith, I'm pretty sure God knows who you are. Uh, God knows everyone he created. Well, the Hebrew word for know here is yada. I'm sure you feel very edified by that. Uh, this word is used to describe intimacy between a man and a woman. Adam knew his wife, yada. Now, of course, it doesn't mean the same kind of intimacy when it's talking about God. It's a metaphor with God. But it is still stressing the same type of, type of particular intimate knowledge. God doesn't just know who His people are like He knows all of the multitudes of people that He's ever created. He knows you intimately. He knows you in a way in which He wants what's best for you. And He wants to work in you and He wants to covenant with you as His wife, as His bride. So, the ultimate happiness is to be known by the Lord. That's how you can be happy for the rest of your life, is to be known by the Lord. Now, let's consider some concluding applications here. Man, I might be done by 12. So, anybody here ever read the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Oh, man, there's some Presbyterians in here, all right, so the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one, the easiest one, says, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and do what? And enjoy Him forever. So the purpose of man is to glorify God and tolerate Him forever? Uh, tremble in fear before Him forever? No, our purpose is to find our happiness and our joy in God. The world tells us that happiness and holiness are opposites. But the Word of God tells us that happiness can only truly be found on the path to holiness. Because that's God's path. But we cannot stay on the path on our, on our own, by our own strength. We must be guided by the only man who ever truly stayed on the path to righteousness. 
Jesus Christ. You cannot resist the temptation to walk in the counsel of the wicked, to stand in the way of sinners, to sit in the seat of scoffers. We would all do that naturally. We would slide into that. You cannot delight in the law of the Lord or meditate on it day or night. But Jesus did. Jesus did all those things. And you cannot plant yourself like a stream or like a tree by streams of living water and produce fruit in good season. But Jesus can plant you there. Jesus lived a perfect life for you. And that's the only way that you have any power through His life given to you to stay on the path of the righteous. But Jesus did more than that. Jesus became the chaff in your place. Jesus was crushed. Jesus was pulverized so that you wouldn't have to be. You could not stand in the judgment of God. You could not have risen back up once God struck you with His judgment. But Jesus did. Jesus took that striking that we could not get up from and He rose again. Giving us the ability in Him to stand in the judgment. In verse 1, when the psalmist says, Blessed is the man... In the Hebrew, that word man is in the singular. Now, don't run away with that too much because it still does mean man in general. But it can be taken to, be, to mean a singular man. And many scholars and commentators, I'm pretty sure this is Calvin's view too, believe that Thomas is giving a wink and a nod towards the future Messiah, Jesus Christ, and saying Jesus is that man. He is the blessed man who can stay off the path to wickedness and stay on the path to the righteousness. Christ is the man who is blessed. He is blessed because He took on your nature and Christ was tempted in every way to walk, stand, and sit with sinners. But He didn't. He was sinless. And because you are united to the blessed man, guess what? You are blessed. You are blessed through Him. So, if you have walked the path of the wicked, or if you have been tempted to wander away from the righteous way, turn to Jesus. Jesus is the one who says, I am the way. I am the truth. In me is life. In me is the only place that there is happiness. Ask Him to bless you with His power. And ask you, to endure the temptation of being drawn away from anything that would take your delight away from Him. Amen. If you will, please rise. And we will sing number 524. We are so thankful that our God blesses us. If He did not work in us, we would have no hope whatsoever. So hear the blessing of your God from Psalm 1. May the Lord bless you 
to delight in His law. May He plant you like a tree by the streams of water. And may His intimate knowledge of you keep you on the blessed path through His beloved righteous Son, the One who made a way for you to be eternally blessed and happy. Amen.